Shalom, and welcome to Parasha Highlights and Insights. This is Rabbi Abraham Fisher, and this week we start reading the Torah from the beginning. Uh, we are going to learn and read uh, Parashat Breshit, the very, very beginning of the Torah. The, the Parashat Breshit, the first part of which we already read on uh, Simchat Torah, but we resume we, from the beginning of the, uh, of the Torah. Uh, the parasha is divided, I would say, into uh, eight sections. The first section deals with creation, and the Torah uh, teaches uh, what was created on each of the uh, seven days. On the first day of creation, Hashem creates light and separates the light from the darkness. On the second day, he creates what in Hebrew is called the rakia, the firmament, basically the sky, the heavens, everything that's above us, and separates the waters, the upper waters from the lower waters. On the third day of creation, uh, he creates the seas and the dry land, separates between them. And from the dry land, uh, God calls into being vegetation. On the fourth day of creation, uh, he creates luminaries, things that give off light, uh, and their purpose is to help regulate time, the sun, the moon, and the stars. On the fifth day of creation, we have more differentiated life, uh, marine life, and birds. On the sixth day of creation, there are animals and man, and man is unique. Man is created in God's image. Man is created to rule over the other creatures. And man is permitted to eat uh, only vegetation. Uh, it's not permitted at this stage to eat uh, meat. God concludes that all that he has created is good. The seventh day of creation is uh, the day that Hashem abstains from further creation. And the word for abstain is Shabbat, and therefore that day is called Shabbat. Hashem blesses and sanctifies that seventh day and calls it Shabbat. That's the first section of the parasha. Second section of the parasha returns to the subject of the creation of man, but goes into greater detail. Uh, this, by the way, happens from time to time in the Torah, where the Torah talks about a succession of uh, events and then returns to one of those events in order to go into it more deeply. This is the creation of uh, man. First, uh, the Torah says that God creates man from the dust of the earth and gives it a soul, uh, and that soul comes from Hashem. Uh, God places the man in a place called Eden, in which there is a garden, and there's a description of the fact that the garden has four rivers, or one river that breaks into four parts, and the various part uh, aspects of the land uh, in and around those rivers. Man is placed in Eden, uh, 
in order to do two things. One, to work that land, that, that garden, to cultivate it. So he's working the land in a sense, but also to preserve it, uh, not to uh, utilize uh, the resources to the point that they do not replenish themselves. And man is given a commandment. The commandment is that uh, he may uh, eat from all of the uh, uh, produce of, uh, of the garden, all of the fruits. However, there is one fruit, uh, the fruit of one tree, uh, namely the fruit of the knowledge uh, of good and evil. Uh, from that fruit, he may not eat. Uh, man feels the need for a companion uh, and uh, at one part of that search for a companion man names the various creatures but this is insufficient it's unsatisfying it doesn't provide him with a companion uh, and so Hashem uh, makes the first woman he builds her from the side of man, and she will be his companion. So man is called Ish, and woman is called Isha, which means essentially from the man. The third part of the uh, parasha uh, talks about uh, the sin uh, that relates to that commandment that we were just discussing the sin of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. This uh, fruit made it possible for a person to uh, think in terms of good and evil, and God did not want men to look at reality that way. Um, and so he said not to, not to eat the fruit. The snake, which is aware of all of this, uh, first incites the woman to transgress. And when she does, uh, she gives the man, her companion, uh, the fruit as well. And once they've done this, they have a different way of looking at things. They realize that they are naked and they make themselves uh, coverings uh, out of fig leaves. Uh, Hashem uh, gives man the opportunity to admit his sin. But rather than doing that, Adam, uh, the first man, Adam, blames the woman, and the woman blames the snake. And therefore, what follows is punishment for all of them. First, the snake. The punishment for the snake is that it will crawl on its belly, it will eat dust, and will be the enemy of mankind. The punishment for the woman is that she will suffer in childbirth, but will still desire uh, to have children. Uh, the punishment for man is that the earth will be cursed uh, and uh, unproductive. I should mention the fact that he's called Adam uh, because he's made from Adama, from soil. He's made from the dust of the earth. Uh, and he is supposed to be a farmer. Uh, he's supposed to make the earth productive, but his punishment uh, is that the earth will not be productive. He will toil uh, and it will not always work. Um, and then uh, they are told that they are mortal, that their lifespan is limited. After the punishment, a uh, few things occur. First, uh, 
The woman is named Chava, which means that she comes from life, that she produces life. Uh, Hashem provides Adam and Chava with proper clothing, uh, but then he expels them from Gan Eden, from the Garden of Eden, and uh, stations uh, special angels there to prevent anyone from uh, going into Gan Eden. Now, man has to live outside of the garden. The next section of the parasha uh, talks about uh, Adam and Chava's children, uh, Cain and Hevel. First, the Torah talks about uh, Cain and Hevel, uh, that uh, Chava has Cain, and names him Cain, which means I have acquired or I have created. Uh, Hevel means breath. Uh, the Torah never says what the reason is. As it turns out, his lifespan is very brief, like a, like a breath. But uh, they are born, and um, each one of them uh, has, a, uh, has an occupation or grows up to, a, uh, to adopt a particular occupation. Um, Hevel is a shepherd, and Cain is... Uh, a farmer, uh, one who works the land. Uh, there comes a time where they desire to bring offerings to Hashem, and they do. However, uh, their offerings are not accepted the same um, the same way. Uh, God accepts the offering of Hevel, but he does not accept the offering of Cain, and this makes Cain very upset and Hashem instructs Cain that he should search out his ways and uh, if he puts in the proper proper effort uh, then he will uh, offer that which will be accepted by God. However, it seems that Cain is uh, determined to have his vengeance against Hevel and so he murders uh, Hevel. Uh, God pronounces the judgment on Cain that uh, he has done something terrible. Cain finally, after being confronted by Hashem, admits his crime, and Hashem changes Cain's uh, judgment to uh, exile. He has to wander the, the earth. Uh, but no one is permitted to kill Cain. The, the next uh, section of the Papasha deals with the generations, the descendants of uh, Cain. Uh, we are told about someone named Hanoch, and Hanoch builds a, a city, and, or there's a city named uh, after him. And then the subsequent generations, Irad, Mechuyael, Metushael, and Lemech, uh, we have uh, some more details about Lemech. Lemech has two wives, Ada and Tzila. And Ada has two sons, Yaval, who's the father of shepherds. He perfects the, uh, the profession of shepherding. And Yuval, who's the father of musicians. He, be, he creates musical instruments. The other wife, Tzila, uh, has a son named Tuval Cain, and he sharpens metal implements. And Sila also has a, uh, a daughter named Naama. Uh, 
Lemech admits that he has uh, killed. He has killed someone and that he anticipates Hashem's uh, punishment. The next uh, section of, uh, of the parasha uh, deals with the events after the death of, uh, of Hevel. Uh, after the death of Hevel, Adam and Chava have another son named Shait, and uh, a great deal of the future generations are traced through the descendants of Shait. The next generation is Enosh, and this is a time, the Torah says, of the begin beginnings of spiritual strivings. Uh, the problem is that much of those uh, strivings seem to uh, go in inappropriate directions. This seems to be the beginning of idol worship of, uh, in some sense. The next section of the parasha deals with all of the generations, starting with Adam, Adam, and going all the way up to Noah, a period of over 1,500 years. In each case, the Torah talks about um, each generation, how old each one was when the next generation was born, uh, a general mention of the fact that there were other children and the total lifespans. But very little information is given about these people. But in order, after Adam, we have Sheit, and then Enosh, and then Kenan, and then Mahalalel, and then Yered, and then Chanoch. Chanoch uh, is unique. He seems to have a shorter lifespan than anyone else during this time. It says that Hashem took him early, uh, maybe in order to spare him from some of the terrible things that mankind is going to get up to. Afterwards, we have Metushelach, uh, another Lemech, and the son of Lemech is Noach. Noach has three sons, Shem, Ham, and Yefet. The very last section of the parasha talks about how Mankind has become uh, very, very sinful, and Hashem decides that he is going to destroy mankind and all living things. However, and with this the parasha concludes, however, Noah finds favor in the eyes of Hashem, which means that Noah should be, should be spared find more about that uh, next week's next week's parasha. Let's return to the very beginning of the parasha. Um, so the most common translation is in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. We're going to be looking at Rashi and uh, Rashi has a different way of translating this uh, before we get into the main issue from Rashi. Um, he says that a better translation should be uh, when God began to create heavens and earth. And then there's a big um, uh, parenthesis, uh, a description. What kind of, what's the earth that we're talking about? That at this stage, the earth was unformed, void, darkness over the surface of the deep, and wind from God sweeping over the water. So when God began to create, the first thing is that God said, let there be light, he or, and there was light. Rashi starts off his 
uh, commentary uh, with a question uh, or with a declaration that the Torah really didn't need to start with, uh, with the creation. The Torah really didn't need to tell us uh, most of what we're going to learn in the book of Bereshit. Based on the assumption that the major purpose of the Torah is to teach us mitzvot, the Torah should have started with the first mitzvah that is uh, given to the people of Israel as a group, and that is uh, the creation of the calendar. And that's uh, well into the book of Shemot. So the question um, is, why uh, should the uh, Torah have creation, not to mention everything else that follows. Um, he quotes Rabbi Yitzchak in the Midrash, who says that the, the reason for this is uh, encapsulated in the Pasuk in Tehillim, that uh, God declared uh, to his people the strength of his work. In other words, God gave us an accounting of the uh, creation in order to give them, meaning the people of Israel, the heritage of the nations. Uh, as Rashi explains, uh, it's possible uh, that the nations of the world uh, would someday uh, accuse the Jewish people of having stolen the land of Israel. Uh, that, that accusation rears its head uh, from time to time, even in our own times. So, if the nations of the world say that you have stolen uh, the land by force from the seven nations of Canaan that lived there before, uh, God's uh, Israel can respond by saying, well, since God is the creator of the world, therefore everything that exists, including the land of Israel, uh, belongs to God, and God can decide uh, who should own what. Well, when he first created uh, the uh, the world. Uh, there were people who lived in this land, uh, and at the time it was appropriate as far as God is concerned. And then God decided that it was time to take it from them and to give it to us. So the creation uh, establishes the uh, principle that God can decide uh, who is to live in the land of Israel. On this, uh, on this statement of Rashi, I should say two things. First of all, uh, if you look closely uh, at the beginning of each one of the five books of the Torah, Rashi's first comment that he chooses to discuss always provides a consolation for the Jewish people in exile. Uh, this comment of Rashi uh, reminds us despite the many years of exile and despite our suffering, despite persecution, uh, we are still God's chosen people. Uh, and among other things, God wants the land of Israel to be ours. The second uh, issue to raise with Rashi is an issue that is raised by one of the classic commentaries on Rashi, a commentary written by the Maharal, uh, Maharal of Prague, uh, that commentary is called Gur Arya. Uh, the Maharal uh, simply uh, simply asks, why should the uh, 
the concept of mitzvot be the only reason for starting the Torah. There are many good things that can be learned from the uh, from the first book of the Torah. Uh, principles of how to live uh, a good life, how to be, uh, how to repent, and so on and so forth. Um, so the Maharal doesn't understand the Rashi's, the Rashi's question to begin with. Uh, why assume that the only purpose of the Torah is to teach us mitzvot? There's much that can be learned in other ways. The Maharal points out that uh, that the, uh, the purpose of the Torah, it is true, is to teach us uh, the mitzvot. And really, we could say that uh, Rashi's question is not why should the book of Bereshit be written, but why should it be in the Torah? It could have been separate, uh, separate book. Why is it integral uh, to the, the Torah? Furthermore, by the way, uh, the Maharal asks, how does uh, Rashi's answer satisfy the question? Uh, he was asking about the mitzvot, uh, and the answer that Rashi gives is to justify giving the uh, land of Israel to the uh, to the Jewish people. Those are two different uh, issues, it would seem. But the Maharal says that they're not two different issues. He says uh, that fundamentally, the, uh, the mitzvot of the Torah are geared towards uh, the land of Israel. Now, this is obvious for certain mitzvot, uh, which can only be fulfilled in the land of Israel. Uh, and there are really quite a number of those, because that doesn't only apply to the agricultural mitzvot, but all of the mitzvot, uh, for example, that relate in one way or another to sacrifices to the Beit HaMikdash, to the temple, uh, can only take place in the land of Israel, because the only place where the, uh, where the Beit HaMikdash can be built is in, uh, is in Israel. So it turns out, really, first and foremost, that the majority of mitzvot really belong in the land of Israel. Um, those are mitzvot that can't be fulfilled, uh, certainly not according to the dictates of the Torah, uh, when they're not in uh, the land. We could also add uh, the idea, uh, and this is a point that is made by the Ramban, that the, uh, the Torah is first and foremost uh, given as, and the mitzvot of the Torah are, are given as a way of governing, governing our life in the land of Israel. Israel is the ideal place for all of the mitzvot to be, to be kept. So the Maharal says that since the living in the land of Israel is really uh, inseparable, uh, certainly the majority of the mitzvot, uh, from majority of the mitzvot, living in the land of Israel, uh, inseparable from the mitzvot, therefore, uh, justifying the Jewish people receiving and living in the land of Israel is uh, inseparable from the Torah's uh, basic purpose, which is to teach us the mitzvot. I thank you very much for joining me in this exploration of the beginning of the Torah, uh, Parashat Breshit. This has been Rabbi Abraham Fisher, Parasha highlights and insights saying shalom. <laughs>